Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining the Great Dynamics Podcast. My name is Ahmed Hassan. And as I say, as always, we have a wonderful guest today. With me is Mike Evans. Mike is the head of intelligence at Securitas. He has a very rich career as a thought leader and operator in the fields of intelligence, security, and resilience. He's also one of the most helpful and supportive individuals in the field, at least I feel so. And we share a bit of a passion for Star Wars. I know that one too. Mike, thank you for coming. Thank you very much, good sir. How are you this afternoon? Very well, thank you. Nobody ever asked me that. I don't know why, but but thank you. Yeah, really good. How about you? Not too bad at all. A little bit busy at the minute um, with some in- internal exciting opportunities. But hey, you know, busy keeps us in business, right? 100%. Mike, how did you get to where you are today? What was your journey like? It's been a journey all across the career map, as I would say. I started off in in public sector, where I cut my teeth on security intelligence within the military, uh, and then came out into the, 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 and I say this lovingly, into the deep dark world of kind of private sector intelligence. And when I first came out, it was in kind of a consulting space within the big four. And I joined what was a, a big cyber function or cyber team in the, in the, in the heyday of cybersecurity, right? And, and my background at that point in time was you know, typical military security intelligence. So to be thrown into the deep end of DDoS ransomware and what's a technical IOC, I remember being sat there going, oh, God, <laughs> this is quite interesting. But because I'd come from an environment of intelligence briefing to an end consumer or customer, I operated on the front line. Mm-hmm. Having that skill set for technical uh, cyber was very, very handy in, the, in in that environment. And then fell out of kind of big four into industry, a little bit of cyber, business continuity, crisis management, resilience. Again, the background played nicely into that. And then I've come almost full circle back into in, intelligence in, in recent years from a kind of corporate security intelligence perspective initially in-house, and now within Securitas as the provider. And it's probably the most fun I've ever had in, in the workplace. I get to deal with some very interesting customers with some very, very interesting intelligence requirements. But the best bit about it is being able to engage with a, with a really good team and indeed a much wider team across the intelligence community in, in the private and public sector, people like yourselves and others. I absolutely love it. It's fantastic. Well, the log goes both ways, Mike. As I said before, I, I felt the first and the last time that we spoke, I felt I got so many tips. Normally, I'm the one always rattling off, but uh, you gave me so many uh, nuggets, and I hope we can go into it a little bit more. Thank you. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all, we're all part of the same community. We, we bang on about the intelligence community, and it is alive and it's well. And we do have our silos, whether or not that's because in the public sector, we have certain remits or firewalls we can't pass over. And in the private sector, there's that, that competition element, but we are still part of an intelligence community. And, and we shouldn't forget that because if we do, you know, the, the adversary will eventually will, will, will overcome us. My question is, how big is your team right now? And like, what's the setup like? So we have a, a core operation or what we'd call the kind of a center of excellence style function that's based out, out of our security operations center in Milton Keynes. It is the global operations center, so it does serve customers globally. And the core team at any one given point in time is 12 uh, full-time employees with additional resource that is either embedded on clients or indeed in a kind of a, a consultative sharing style fashion. And these resources are geared 
geographically disparate. So they are based around the UK and other parts of the world. And then we've got additional resource in other parts of the world establishing a, an emerging follow the sun model. One of the bits that's that's most interesting for me in this current role being within Securitas is that we are a, a security guarding and security operations company, which means that I have a, a front line of security officers around the world of more than 300,000 people, which in effect wow. is quite a good human intelligence army to, to kind of <laughs> leverage. Okay? Very much so. So when, when things do go bang in one side of the map or a customer has an intelligence requirement on the other side of the map, I am very fortunate that utilizing the team and my own community within the business, my own intelligence community, I can reach out to, to guys and gals on the ground, on the front line, and gain that local level insight of what's going on or indeed to answer that customer requirement. I also then benefit from, you know, Secure works with other companies and partners around the world that we get to engage with, and then our own community um, in the private and indeed public sector. So the, the guys and gals in the SIU are very busy. They deal with customers in, in all industries and sectors. Of all shapes and sizes, every hour, every minute of the day. But in relation to kind of how we're set up, we are set up in in the, in the best possible way at present for us. And and the best bit is whatever we produce, we can actually make the intelligence actionable, not just by what we're producing, but by providing it to people, whether they're on the front line as officers or they're in the control rooms as CCTV operators or their account managers, security managers, whatever we're producing actually gets into the hands of someone who can take the intelligence that is actionable, but also then take action from it. So we get to make a difference on a day-to-day basis. Which is fantastic because I think a lot of analysts will be listening to this very lot of envy because often you you do a report, you slave, you toil, and you'd never see where it went, right? So in that regard, I think that's very interesting. I mean, for us, the, the, the benefit is that, and again, we can talk about the hypothetics of things like the intelligence model all day, right? But if I need to go and do collection... I've got all available sources to me, whether it's open source, human on the front line within the business, et cetera. But then from a, from a dissemination perspective and then actually making that difference, we can see things put into practice. We can see if the intelligence was, was right. We can close intelligence gaps and we're constantly learning ways to make the advisory section of a report or a product better. So it's not just you know, maintain awareness. You know, what is it specifically that the frontline can do to mitigate that threat? Fantastic. I mean, Mike, if you're not doing this, you're, you should be doing and giving speeches and teaching because you're hitting all the things that I like to hear. So that's, and I promise people listening, we haven't practiced beforehand. This is just what Mike believes in and what he does. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Podcast, face for radio, right? (laughs) (laughs) Stop it, stop it. No, what I wanted to ask is, what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night is genuinely the thought behind the intelligence community at this point in time not, not working together. And by that, I mean, in security, you have to be lucky every time, every time every hour, every minute, every day, and with every threat that you face. Um, whether or not these are the things that are planned events or indeed, hey-ho, buzzwords, black swan, right? However, the threat only has to be lucky once. 
And there are so many people in this day and age that are now in the field or breaking out into the field of intelligence. There is ever more opportunity for us as a much wider community to share intelligence for the greater good, to to help make that world a safer place. But because of silos in, in public sector, which has very clear remits and responsibilities, and that's there for a reason, because of laws and requirements and regulations, etc. But in private sector, because of that competitive requirement, there are times when potentially we could share more, we could do more, but the competitive side kicks in. And I, I say this from, from within Stewartess, which is a private security organization, um, and I'm sure my employer loves me for my, my thoughts on this, but there are times when we could share more to help make the world a safer place, particularly when we're managing kind of non-typical threats like branded reputation, supply chain. You know, if it's a threat to life, we should always share. But it, from a competitive perspective, as I said earlier, our greatest competitor is the adversary. So the idea that somewhere, somewhere uh, someone has, has got intel or got gen on a threat that they're sitting on, potentially because they're asking the question of, should I, could I, would I share this? That that's the thing that keeps people alive. And again, I have to, you know, I, I'm in I'm in it for the money. I'm in it for business. I'm a private security organization. But at the same time, how can I find ways to to better the community and better protect the the, the, the much wider world? Absolutely. I like to think that the podcast is a way we are doing that. So, hey, I mean, it's it, it, industry engagement is is really really powerful, really really important from us developing ourselves but also us developing the, the field that is intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. I think, no, I, like, I don't know if, if, because there are things in that competitive nature that sometimes is unnecessary because it's competition for the sake of competition. And you see that particularly on social media where people are, there's like this one-upmanship. And I wish that wasn't the case uh, because at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is share our experiences or these little nuggets that we find. I wanted to take a step back and ask you, because a lot of young people listen to this podcast, a lot of people in the earlier stage of their career, and you have a background in the military. Could you explain how that experience have helped you, shaped you where you are right now and, and what you're doing? I think one of the kind of most important parts that the military instills upon uh, individuals and also teams is that element of kind of identity um, and, and who you are and who you should be as part of a much greater mi- uh, 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 mission because it is mission first then mates then then me and the idea of identity and things like values and standards is is incredibly important and and we're hiring at this point in time actually for a couple of roles and one of the things that stands out the most for us when we're talking with candidates is not is not technicals. I don't need to know if you know all the, the the three letters and all the acronyms of intelligence agencies in the world, or if you can name who's you know NATO's greatest salesperson for 2022, 2023. The the bit that that blows us away is when we have a candidate that has the passion but also the soft skills. And I think that soft skills shine through from things like if you have values and standards that you you hold yourself to. And one of the things that when we were kind of restructuring the SIU, the Security House Intelligence Unit, we wanted to make sure we had a very, very clear 
values and standards that everyone can can adhere to in terms of the behaviors of of the unit as a whole and the first one was kind of intelligence excellence. So whatever we do, making sure it's the best intelligence product that can be or constantly making it better. And the second one then is customer service. So regardless of the customer, regardless if they are a security officer on the front line or a customer, and it's a board level decision maker, let's say in a very large financial services organization or oil and gas, or it's a small to medium sized enterprise corner shop on the, on the corner. Regardless of who it is, customer service, make sure that you're giving them the best possible experience. And the third one then is um, innovate or or die, as I call it, but it, but it should be you know, kind of innovate or, 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 or not. But it's the idea that we as a function and, and we within intelligence should continue to find ways to to be better and do better, whether or not that's innovating the process of doing intelligence, whether or not that's innovating the end product. You know, everyone loves a wall of text report. He says, smiling, but on a podcast. <laughs> um, but others prefer graphics, others prefer dashboards. So we have to continue innovating again, because if we don't innovate, then others will, like the adversary, and they'll get away from us. So for me, I think, you know, when you're, wherever you're starting out in, in your career, or even if you're mid-career, like myself, I think it's important to take that step back, look at you as a as a brand, in essence, look at you as your the values and standards that you hold yourself to. Do you have any? Because the second you have those in place, and you can start, you know, measuring yourself against them and aspiring to them. Uh, you know, they say don't meet your heroes, but when you look at heroes, why is it that you admire them? And I, I think it's you know, strong ethics, strong codes, uh, and values and standards. So yeah, I would I would consider that as part of your uh, as your next interview. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough i mean what i find interesting i was snooping around your bio your linkedin page a little bit and what i find really interesting and i think a lot of people in your role and in 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 maybe more junior roles should look at this is how you impact as an intelligence manager leader how you're impacting the bottom line of the company, how you're impacting the business, the strategic goals in business. And I think that's something I, I was really fascinated by and I would love to hear more from you about. A hundred percent. So looking at it from a, a military perspective, first of all, kind of looking at my career, you're providing intelligence from a threat intelligence perspective. Again, we all love buzzwords to mitigate those threats. But at the same time, you are providing protective intelligence to protect assets. But the reason you're protecting assets is because there's a mission at hand with objectives. So if you then bring this into a, a private environment of private organizations and bottom lines and profits, not only are you trying to mitigate the threats to, to you know, try and reduce the cost of an impact style scenario, at the same time, you should be tying your intelligence to protect development to the business objectives of the business. So it's not just about protecting, you know, the exec and making sure there's no leakage of personal identifiable information from the exec, such as the home address. At the same time, you should be tying it to the business objectives of that organization. So like as an example, we have like an onboarding questionnaire for some of our gold tier customers, we call them. We provide intelligence specific to their requirements. And a lot of the questions in that questionnaire are actually on things like, who are your suppliers? What are your brand reputational assets? What are your objectives for this year, next year? Not just 
your objectives, Mr. or Mrs. Security Manager, you know, what do you want to achieve? It's also what about the business objectives? Because if you can understand that in your travels of monitoring and collection, if you spot something that may be of interest to that organization, they can be better equipped to make good decisions in the pursuit of their objectives. And whilst a lot of my kind of direct customers within the SIU, the, the people we interface with in, in the customer environment are in the security space or the risk and resilience space. For a couple of our customers, our direct face-offs are actually in the legal department, in the HR department, or even in the operations department, because they're taking the intelligence from us and then not just making the security decisions, they're making business decisions upon this. So, if, if you're in intelligence, you know, you've got to engage that wider community, not just security, because security is considered a cost center. And, there, and we are in a bit of a journey in, in the wider industry to show security as an enabler of business. But if you're in a security function, you, probably your greatest asset to be an enabler of the business is intelligence. Yeah, no, I, I really like that because I asked you that for a very specific reason, Uh-oh. because I've been... <laughs> no, it's good actually. Uh, I've been speaking with like people like yourself in, in very similar roles, let's say inside organizations and big organizations, and they are struggling to find the tools or the ways to show to their uh, C-suite level executives uh, or even like shareholders how they could empower business decisions from an internal perspective. And this is something I'm seeing and this evolution is an ongoing process and hence why I asked. I mean, it can be mapping what you do to everyone's requirements, but at the same time, it's about building those relationships and that rapport with the stakeholders to, to, so, that, so that not only are you asking them because if you can build your understanding of what they need and what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, you'll be able to drop things into their mailbox or their, or their texts. And then you've got intelligence in the back pocket. So they are going to start reaching out. As an example, I've got one customer um, in financial services who will routinely kind of reach out and say, I'm, I'm meeting with so-and-so next week or in the next 15 minutes. Can I have a quick brief on them? Not because there's a threat, but because that customer wants to walk into that conversation informed and, and in control of, of of the situation you know to make make sure they're making the best decisions possible and that's very powerful then they're not coming to you for threat they're not coming to you for oh i've, I've heard there's going to be a, a risk event on this date at this time at this place they're coming to you to to make what they're doing better and that's when you're transforming the perception of being a cost center to being a, a business enabler, but also an enabler of the individual. You know, I would caveat that with prior warning. You may get your WhatsApps burn up from certain <laughs> customers at like 10 o'clock at night who are like, I'm going here tomorrow. You got any details on this? But that's where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you don't want to answer this, you don't have to, but yeah. I think... It's interesting also to talk about how do you respond to and how do you deal with from a mental perspective, but also from an operational perspective when things go wrong. I think that it's very key to understand the difference between an intelligence gap and an intelligence failure. So an intelligence gap is something that you don't know. Mm -hmm. You as a function don't know. And sometimes 
it's because you didn't ask the requirement in the first place or the question in the first place and you overlooked it and it got away from you. Sometimes it would have been impossible to know about. And as such, that's okay. Now you can create the requirements in the collection to be able to go and make sure that gap is closed and maybe close to other ones. But if there's an intelligence failure, which does happen, which is a failure to follow process, that's when you have to look at one is the process the appropriate one? Is it the correct one? If it's not, change it again, innovate or die. Or if maybe an individual or people did not follow the process, then that's time for, for lessons learned. And it's not to bring the hammer down, but it is time for you know candid reflection. Why did we get this wrong? Why didn't we follow the process? Within my current org, you know, we, we, we do have intelligence industrialized to a certain extent to be able to deliver intelligence to lots of different customers with their own unique requirements. So we have to have a very industrialized process to deliver the the speed, scale, and scope that we do. And things can, and they do go wrong. But at the end of the day, everyone is still a human as well. And we have to remember that. We're not machines. You know, chat GPT is on the way, ladies and gents. <laughs> but we are, we are still humans. And even chat GPT has its faults. But I'm sure that's a, a, a podcast in and of itself. So I won't, I won't go into that too much. Well, you opened the door because I, I was <laughs> going to ask you, <laughs> because we talked about this before. How do you see the role of, of chat GPT? I see it being useful from a perspective of being able to provide an element of dynamic, but still very much raw collection. Uh, because there is uh, it's some, some models and there are some out there that are being used within um, intelligence have historical data so they're not as current as others there is some bias within some models and you can introduce bias if you ask questions in a certain perspective or of a certain lens you can make the response carry an awful lot of bias so there are limitations in it, but there's wherever there is a risk, there's an opportunity, right? And I think one of the, the greatest things I've seen from one of the models was that it was providing an answer, but it was also giving, at the end, a list of intelligence gaps and follow-up questions. Amazing. So it was uh, providing opportunities for further collection and, and, and refinement. So I think it's very much something for us to be aware of. We have to be aware of it. It's in our space. But I, I know there's a lot of kind of back and forth about this, but I do not see it replacing human analysts. There's one particular tool in, in the market that uses AI for all of its air quotes alerting. But if that product becomes very much overwhelmed when you have a major conflict, as an example, because it's it's just sending out alerts for, for geotagged indicators and warnings intelligence. But when you have a conflict or things like COVID, the map just starts glowing red with alerts because it's just firing stuff off all the time. And at the same time, AI is doing the kind of one plus one equals two equation, whereas a human analyst is going to do one plus one equals a window. If you think of one plus one plus the, the equal sign, we'll make a window. And now I can see through the window. And as an analyst, I'm going to ask, so what, what if, and what next, and what I can do about it. Whereas chat GPT, et cetera, is going to focus on here's the impact to your organization, but it's not going to have the necessary, all the information, particularly the stuff that's been discussed human and not yet been listened to by a, you know, a connected device, right? So I think for me, the combination of technology and human analysts is absolutely key. 
Um, but one cannot exist without the other in a fully fledged all source intelligence strategy. Yeah, I cannot agree more. I've been experimenting a lot with it. I played around with it a lot. I think you said something that kind of like haunted me for a couple of days. The last time we spoke, you said, let's hope that young analysts not, not start using it and, uh, and start in that process. Don't just, don't just copy paste what comes out yeah. of the model. Please, please don't do that. Um, it, it's useful. Leverage it. Le- and we should, we should leverage every available and appropriate source to us. But if you're just copy pasting it, that that's no better than than not consulting other sources, not corroborating, etc. Absolutely. And there's something that you mentioned earlier that I that I'm really fascinated by by organizations like Securitas and a similar ones. You spoke about this huge. I mean, for me, it would be a dream to have a sensor network of three hundred thousand people, right? And purely from a technical perspective. How do you, how do you empower that amount of people? How do you make sure it's timely, it's accurate, and it's clear what you're getting from those sources? It's, it's about being as focused as possible in, in the direction stages. So when you, when you've got that requirement come in from a, from a customer, it would be easy enough to go on to, you know, Outlook and hit send all. Anyone got any insights on this particular question? The return on investment and and, and the mailbox blowing up with answers is just not worth it. But if you're looking at it from a direction perspective, and this is what everyone should be doing, considering your collection plan and going, you know, maybe it is worth asking the question in this instance of, of human, let's say, whether or not that's local officers or a SOC network or just using open source intelligence it's about considering the appropriate collection means in context of the requirement so f- from our sort of life it is we, we focus heavily on what is it we need to know where's best to gather the data and information for this and how does that then fit into the end product that goes back to the customer sometimes it's not worth sometimes it's not it's not appropriate to use all of the sources that are available because some will just introduce noise or slow down the process, etc. We are very fortunate to have as many you know, sensors available to us as possible, whether they're technical or, or human, but we, we consider it in context of, of what we're dealing with. And as an extension to that, have you ever thought about, maybe it's a bit difficult, but be proactive and maybe create like a bridge between that network, even though I understand that it's driven by your collection plan. However, if you look at it from, let's say, theoretically, I'm throwing something out there right now, but if every operator or every manager had a app that they can, like already they do reports, right? So if you digitize that and create a database, so, so we are leveraging some interesting digital solutions in that space, okay. which is going really, really well. And actually, from, from my perspective, another thing I'm quite passionate about is providing further career development for mm-hmm. security officers, because particularly here in the UK, you know, everyone's feeling the pinch within the economy. And we are noting that you can go and get paid more to go and hop industry. 
and as such that kind of race to the bottom has has stymied some people within the security industry they're just stuck as officers forever unless they become a site supervisor or something like that but typically someone else has to move on beforehand so something that i'm quite passionate about is providing opportunities for development in in other fields or specializations within security so if we're able to equip an officer with the means to to either collect or share intelligence from on the ground, I think that's really, really important for them. Not only is it providing them with opportunities development, it's also making sure they're more engaged, more aware when they're going into the workplace. They are more vigilant because they're, they're looking for threats now. Um, they know what their, their mission is and they're, they're aware that maybe something happened down the road. So let's keep an eye on it without distracting them, of course. But also it means for me, we're, we're providing a much more... Um, comprehensive solution because not only have we got people in the back doing some intelligence in the back room we've also got people on the front line who are now actively engaged in the overall mission of security that's very cool i was i was involved in a project that uh, monitored the flow of illicit uh, firearms and it had a similar solution where it uh, where we developed a way to empower people on the ground that normally wouldn't be, and they became a very important part of the of the intelligence cycle. Hence, why I asked because that's I think is very interesting, and I think from that on, I would like to go into. I know you post a lot about this stuff, and what are some some trends in the industry that you're excited about, uh, that you maybe are fearful about, or or apprehensive. I think for me, there, there are three at this point in time within kind of the intelligence industry, which is one, the opportunities within digitalization and automation. And again, everyone's going to look at you know AI at this point in time and go, what does this, what opportunities does this leverage for us? I think the, the second one at this point in time for me is that because of intelligence now being, I would say in its heyday, you know, it's it's really starting to become that 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 talking point with the industry. Everyone wants a piece, which means there's ever more opportunities for us to engage with consumers and customers, but also our community. So you and me engaging, others engaging both between public and private sector, sharing not just of intelligence, but also things like best practice, which is really, really key. So as I mentioned earlier and, and as we spoke about before, you know, sharing intelligence about an upcoming threat event such as uh, criminal activity or maybe unrest is, is key, but it's also sharing that, and here's how I found it aspect so that we can pay it forward. That will only better intelligence, in my opinion. And then the third one is, is the betterment of intelligence through providing opportunities for people to break into intelligence or to professionalize the the industry as a whole like we don't have a professional standard right now we do have the you know the phia the handbook for intelligence analysis which is great it does provide some level of a, a career management and and within the military there's a very career or clear career map you do this for two years you'll go there you do this for two three years you'll go there in private sector th- that there isn't that it's not there so i think for me i think in that in regards to that third trend, what we're seeing is that there is an appetite within both private and public to introduce a professional standard of sorts and a career map that aligns to that for intelligence. I think what I would like to see there is that and I've experienced this, we've posted a job advert recently. I can get analysts 
a dime a dozen from like an MA or a BA background, which is amazing, absolutely fantastic. But I don't get many others who've, who've never had any kind of experience. And again, security officers, they, not many apply, but, but you speak to them, they, they do want to apply, they do want to be involved. But there's that perception of I've not got a, I've not got a degree. So if I would like to, to vehicle or, or have a, a means to not lower the bar as such, but to open the doors to a wider pool of candidates, people who may have been below the breadline, but there's no reason that they should have to go and get a degree or do military service or become a police officer first before they go into the field of intelligence. So we, we, I think we as an industry need, need to and should be doing more in that space to, to find ways to, to broaden our candidate pool because it will only provide us great opportunities in the future. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of my main things. I mean, we talked about this, this reason why we are building our training, uh, or as you advise me to call it, uh, capacity development. And we're seeing, like, I'm getting messages, uh, and perhaps yourself, but I'm getting messages on a daily basis from people who don't have a standard background. And you ask them, you know, I always ask people if they, if they want to do an internship with us, which is very popular right now to do like a writing sample or do an assessment. And the creativity they come with is something that I'm often see missing with people that have an MA degree or a BA degree. And that's something I find incredibly satisfying to see that people, Hey, you don't have to have this traditional background to be able to, to write and actually the people that do an MA have to unlearn a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, we we we've we've experienced that a little bit, and that and that's fine. And but I think kind of to your point earlier about almost the concept of operations. You know, just because you're intelligence outfit or it's got intelligence in the name, doesn't mean you're automatically delivering intelligence unless it's actionable. If it's not actionable, it's still information. And I think there's a perception, particularly at the, the crossroads or the, the juncture we're at with open source, which is incredible. And if you're not leveraging it, you are at a disadvantage. But with the, the crossroads and, and, and the heyday of, of open source intelligence, OSINT, we, we're seeing some fields of thought within business, which is, and it's a 1%, but it can be a loud 1%, that are like, oh, that, that's not intelligence, that's just Google. And the other, other, and that's one percent, right? And then over the other side of the yardstick, there's another one percent that are like, "Oh, intelligence! That's so secret, squirrel. Where do you find this stuff?" Right? But the reality is that other ninety percent is just a convergence of all source intelligence and a, and a good analyst producing a good assessment. So, what, what if, what next? What can you do about it? So, I think for me, is having a very, very clear concept of operations is is absolutely key to delivering an intelligence function that's successful otherwise you are probably going to sway to being too too general which is still in the information space and it's not yet been processed in intelligence or it's going to be so niche that it's only going to be of use to a very very select um, stakeholder group and that's where sometimes you need a product that can speak to multiple stakeholder groups you know when we do i know you've listened to this podcast you know we do clips right that we cut out bits that's the bit that i'm gonna cut out that you just said right then <laughs> you know, like uh, that's that's the bit that i think people put should put in rewind and listen back to that if you're listening right now to this podcast that's the bit you need to listen to again 
because I think the most misconceptions around intelligence come from those two 1% or however, how much they are from both ends that confuse it. I posted something today on LinkedIn. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, it was fun. I was joking. Yes. Yes. I've seen it. I don't know what you mean. Yeah. The human one. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's, I'm just going to make fun. And I, and I created that meme and I, and I uploaded it. And then there were people saying, who said that human was like, I said, it was some people think it's a silver bullet, but I'm talking about that 1% that thinks this way. Right. And if you're an analyst and you don't understand that, then you have you have a very small view on the world of intelligence. And, and uh, Intel, one of the, the best bits of intelligence is actually we do an awful lot of psychology without realizing it. Absolutely. So one of the things that I, I get the, the guys and gals in the SOU to do an awful lot of is that when they get a request for intelligence in from a customer, first and foremost, that touch requirement may be a little bit unclear. So you may have to determine what it is the customer's after because they themselves may not know. But you shouldn't just refine the requirement. You should be sitting there and going, why? Why do they need to? Why are they asking that? Yeah. Has something happened that has then triggered this request for intelligence, the RFI? Or is there a business decision going on in the background? Which actually, then, if you consider that, then maybe there's an opportunity to enable said business. So from from looking at you know the response to a meme, let's say, look at it from the psychological perspective of why have they responded in that way? What's triggered that response? Because if you can start thinking in that way, you can apply it to everything with Intel, whether or not it's managing an RFI, managing upwards because you've got a demanding boss, or red teaming and putting yourself into the mindset of the threat actor and going, hey, this is the way they would carry out that, that course of action. Absolutely. Yeah, I think maybe it's also a bit of experience and being open and aware of what's happening in the world around you and and I think also like, and I, and I think this has a lot to do with your ex- experience and, and your background in the military, where these concepts are drilled into you. And it might be that somebody who comes from a non-traditional intelligence background that that's the reason why they might not understand or know how to engage with these concepts or, or these like insight jokes. And something that uh, I was talking about with a colleague was when he was an intelligence analyst for the U.S. government, he was working with people from the NSA. And there was one guy, he told me, that walked around with a paper bag on his head with a big smile on it. And and nobody said anything. He would walk with that paper bag on his head from his workstation to his car. And nobody said anything about it. And it's weird, but it's so well described somebody who's in cyber government, if you understand what I'm saying, right? So uh, it, it to me, it makes sense that somebody would be like that, right? And I think like these inside things, if we don't talk about it, if we don't talk about things that that people experience and how they see the world and, and, and experiences, I think it's very difficult to communicate and have a community of intelligence. Yeah, I, you, we ha- every, you have to humanize things. You have to humanize things within the current department we've we've placed an awful lot of focus on the culture and the workplace environment that we would like to work in so it's not regimented there are clear you know there's a very clear concept of operations with timings and, and processes to follow but the culture behind it is is one we wanted people to 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 feel like they want to come to work in 
and and I spend a lot of time with the guys trying to humanize, you know, not just us as analysts, but also the process, explaining why things work, how things work, how someone found that one particular OSINT nugget, but someone else didn't, that may be because of a mind shift, but also like the, the, the greater business context. You know, we're doing this because we exist as part of a business and we're going to send it to that customer in that format because they want it in that particular format because that's a human at the other end. No, absolutely. Mike, I mean, I can talk to you about this stuff for, for hours and hours. But one thing, and you already gave some, some really good pieces of advice, part of the podcast that I want to ask you for somebody who's getting into it, into intelligence, or somebody making a career switch, or somebody who is media or senior, in that order or in any order, can you give a piece of advice that that's really has helped you or your team? Be both a generalist and a jack of all skills and trades. With being a generalist, I have found that I've done my time across my career in various predictive services, private, public, etc. Some of cyber, some bit of fraud, corporate security, etc. Because of that generalist skill set and experience, when posed with a request for intelligence, even if it's something very, very specialist, if you're a generalist, you're always going to have something you can bring to the party. If your focus is super specialist, you know nothing outside of that lane. So let's say you're doing focus on counterterrorism and you're then tasked with something that is very cyber technical. Yes, you may be able to apply something to it, a little bit of left of field or right of field thinking, but you may not be able to go as deep into it as a generalist would, or indeed be able to think of something completely left or right of field as a generalist. And with the kind of jack of all trades and skills remark, I saw a really interesting post today on LinkedIn and, and it's, I, it slipped my mind who posted it, but it was essentially kind of a, a, a medium blog talking about the other skills that they had learned or, or developed as part of their career with intelligence. It was talking about being a good graphic designer, good at being a salesperson, even a stand-up comic. And if you're listening to this, you're going to know who you are. I wrote that because the last point was being a stand-up comic. And, and yes, you hate my bad dad jokes, but they do love them really deep down, right? But if, if you were able to be a jack of all trades and skills, you know, being able to walk into that room and network, but also have the ability to stand up and give a presentation or put together a database to do some analysis, etc. That's really important. So, so generalist intelligence skill set and the ability to adapt to whatever is required of you, because that is actually what intelligence is all about. It's constantly developing that picture and looking ahead to provide that assessment so that the customers are indeed informed and in control. Yeah. Do you think that being a generalist is very suitable for people in roles like yourself or mine? Maybe not so for people who is just starting out? Or do you feel that too? I think what happens is that you start off as an element of a generalist covering multiple desks or subject matters when you first get into the field, unless you are being hired into a very, very specific role. And I think as you, as you start to go up that career ladder a little bit, you, your, your focus narrows. But what happens as you continue up the career ladder is it, it opens back up again because people up and down the career chain beneath and above you and around you will look to you as the font of all 
knowledge. Now, that doesn't mean that I am fully versed in every geopolitical development on a day in, day out basis, but by maintaining a good level of awareness of what's going on, but also leveraging that experience and skill set from previous, whenever someone comes to you and goes, what do you think about this? You may not know the current ins and outs, but you'll be able to, you know, dig into your basic intelligence background and go, hey, what, what about this? What happens if it did this based on that that's happened before or uh, another assessment that you've cooked up? So I think you start off, and I think the majority is you start off generalist, unless you're specialist hired, is a squeeze in your career that begins to narrow your focus a little bit. But as you continue up, you are going to need to, to, to brush off and dust off that that generalist knowledge and skill set, not just from you know what's happening in the world, but also, hey, I'm required to do an internal presentation today or a customer presentation tomorrow, or you know, go be a stand-up comic. Yeah. And speaking on the stand-up comic, one of the things that I try to teach young analysts is have a bit of humor in your briefings, even if it's a serious subject. Absolutely, absolutely critical again. It's it's, it's humanizing things. And we deal with some very serious subjects very serious and these can have a significant impact on individuals if not in in the there in the moment but later on so being able to to humanize things is, is key you know it's not you know make too much fun of, of serious subjects as it were but by allowing it to be engaging not only are you going to make the process better but you're going to make the the experience better and as, as you and i discussed earlier right some of the things that we we talk about can spark off a lot of opinion and a lot of debate because some people will be behind some some protests some will be behind and supportive of campaigns by threat as another part of the world because of you know religious or social or economic implications so we we need to focus on the fact that what we do is intelligence and not opinion and sometimes we will have to deal with sort of matters that maybe we're not comfortable with maybe others aren't comfortable with but it's not personal it is it is business and and we and we have to encounter these things we have to manage them because they they potentially do pose a threat or indeed an opportunity for us to to grab with both hands absolutely and to to go a little bit deeper into the into young analysts uh, you mentioned that you guys were hiring what is something you look for in in, in new hires I think the one thing that I look for the, the most, and you can kind of tell this within the first couple of minutes or so, is someone that is hungry for it. And that can come across by you know, the quality of their answers. It can come across through their, 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 their engagement with you. And, and not everyone interviews well. I will, I will signpost that. Not everyone interviews well. But you can almost tell if someone is hungry for it. And it's also things like... And we work in intelligence. So my, one of my favorite questions is, and so what do you know about the role? And what do you know about the department or the business? If they want to work in Intel, they'd have done their due diligence. They'd done their collection beforehand. If, if they're coming into that with a, oh, I don't know, I just want to work in intelligence, you kind of sit in there going, that's great, but are you hungry for it? That's really good. I'm going to remember that. You can steal that one. Uh, <laughs> I, will, I definitely will. So maybe one of my favorite bits of the podcast because I've got so many good tips, any cultural recommendations that you can give. It doesn't have to be an intelligence, but what are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to? 
I, I, I did chuckle at this a little bit. One of the previous guests on the podcast was Julie. Yes. Who I think is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And I, like Julie, enjoy my escapism. So I do read an awful lot kind of in fantasy and science fiction. And again, I think having having an interest like that outside of intelligence is really, really helpful because you, it will help you craft assessments. Uh, I think one of my um, uh, one of my first assessments when I was in, in training in the military was around genocide in, in an exercise. And one of the kind of directing instructors looked to me like it's a little bit strong from a dangerous course of action assessment. But again, that was coming from a, a wider field of view or a wider perspective that I'd, I'd gained through that. So, so like Julie, I, I, I do enjoy that. But I think for me, uh, something else that I'm, I'm doing an awful lot of at the minute is I've got three young children all, all beneath the age of 10 and they keep us very busy. And they've recently really gotten into some, some board games, which is, is challenging them from their creative aspects but it's really challenging me as well so so having that uh, dusting off that how do i deal with a difficult customer in non-typical environments is really key whether it's board games or coming up with crafty assessments based on fiction so i i want to hear titles so what what is escapism for you for me what am i on at the minute i'm currently on black spire which is a Star Wars novel, which I've yet to start, but it's, it was my uh, bag last week to travel to Denmark. Not started yet. And my son has recently gotten into, what was the game I'm looking around my office? I'm on a podcast. You can't see me looking around. Into in Dungeons & Dragons because some of his friends at school play it. So I've, I've managed to get like a, a starter set for that. So I'm reading the rule book there to try and go, how am I going to come up with a story for this for a bunch of under 10-year-olds? I'm sure I can figure it out. <laughs> If you have time, anything you're you're watching? We have recently finished watching Treason, which was the Netflix documentary. I, I did quite enjoy, actually. I thought it was quite good. And we have also just recently started watching In From the Cold, which I think is also another Netflix one, which kind of topically, he says, um, and again, smiling, I'm on a podcast you can't see, is, is around kind of a Russian agent who's no longer a Russian agent anymore, but now the US government are going to use her. So I find that quite interesting from, you know, the, the, the realism perspective, air quotes again, but I, I, I find it interesting that these things are produced and put out um, in the current world that we live in. It is. It's, it's a bit surprising if you look at it like, how far we've come yeah. in the industry, right? Yeah. Um, I Maybe you've seen it, but all my friends in intelligence are raving about Andor and how much elements of intelligence it has. I haven't seen it yet, but I okay. do want to watch it. it it's it's, it's on, the, on the to-watch list, and I've heard great, great things about it. Um, it it's a balance of, do I think... My, do, do I think that my wife will sit through it with me? <laughs> I think she will. Which I'm, I'm hoping she will. Other than that, it may be, you know, to, 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 the eldest, uh, to my eldest uh, child. Come on, we'll, we'll watch it together. Here's an excuse for, for me to watch it if you say you want to watch it too as well. I've, I've just started watching. I think I watched the first three episodes with my partner and we both thoroughly enjoyed it. And it starts very slow. It's a bit of a slow burn, mm. but the writing is excellent the amount of examples of of human uh, just tradecraft and 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 counterinsurgency 
balance that they have from the empire to the rebel. It's, it's really interesting. But on the note of the slow burn, as much as we all love a laser sword and a spaceship, that that's not that's not how the world is. No. The slow burn, the the tradecraft, the human, and the sigint in the background. That's the way the real life Star Wars air quotes or real life Andor is mm. so i think it's really interesting that they've taken a very low key approach almost a very realistic approach grounded in what does happen on a, a flagship media publication yeah i mean in the words of 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 uh, young people it's a banger it's a banger <laughs> it's a banger i really like it i like that any parting thoughts mike that you want to bestow on us one i'm going to flip it back on you you asked me earlier what is it that keeps me up at night? What is it that keeps you up at night? And you you can't say dodgy podcast guests. No, <laughs> no, they don't. Uh, somebody said to me, made an offhand comment. I don't even think that they understood what they were saying, but they said it was like something unhuman. And, and somebody said, oh, you're basically paying somebody to like and it's an interesting thing. My fear, yeah, my fear is that for certain clients or uninitiated, which sounds weird, but let's just use that word, that that's what they think. So every time, if I'm doing something human related, uh, not that I do that much anymore, but let's say I do, because we still work around counterterrorism and, and yeah. counterviolent extremism, I'm afraid that. I the balance that I have to have now in the private sector for the safety and security of the source. And on the other hand, the, the amount of information, even before it's intelligence that the client needs of the source, that they are, that they're happy with what they're getting is as close to the truth or the truth as it can be or, or part of our intelligence. I think. That's something that keeps me up at night that the client doesn't think, Hey, they can tell us whatever they want, but it has to, it has to be then corroborated with OSINT and, and other sources. But in certain cases, the, the piece of information you're getting is almost impossible to triangulate. I, I completely agree with you. I, it, and it's, you know, I, I, I hearken this back to, to rumint or rumor intelligence. Just because you've heard it or had it from your mate's friend, mother's brother, sister's nephew that lives in wherever else in the world that may have seen it passing on a bus pa- past their window doesn't mean it's true. And I think mm-hmm. there's a real need to to teach everyone and everyone and anyone critical thinking skills. And if you yeah. remember one thing whenever you see that tweet that seems too outlandish or that person with the cardboard box sign that is really far out there is that Mm. one if it's too good or too bad to be true then it probably isn't true but but secondly there's a root cause for everything Mm. whether or not someone has something to gain by spreading myths or disinformation or if that weird and wonderful RFI from the customer is linked to a business decision, but you're just not privy to that business decision. So if it's too good or too bad to be true, probably is, but also there's a root cause of everything. No, absolutely. I think what you just said there, where the client has an RFI that you might not immediately understand, 
I'll give a short example. I had a client through, as often happens, as you know, went through a law firm yep. to approach me and they wanted to sue somebody and they didn't know where the person was or they wanted to know more about the person. And then let's just say that I did my homework and I knew who the client was, even though they used a law firm and the law firm didn't tell me who the client was, but I could understand from the RFI who it was. And I immediately went back and said, no, because it, the, the, the reasons for them to find out who this person is, in my opinion, were a bit nefarious. And I just walked away from it. And that's so important to also understand that you have to interrogate the RFI. Yep. You cannot just take it and, you know, I need the money. I need to pay the bills. Everybody needs to, you know, but that doesn't free you from any responsibility. No, it's, it's kind of integrity with intelligence. You know, you wouldn't yeah. use a bad source and compromise the, the quality integrity of the intelligence. Mm-hmm. But from a, a direction perspective, would you compromise not the intelligence product, but the intelligence process and your function yeah. and all the people that sit within it mm-hmm. just to chase a quick buck? Yeah, well said. I think that's as perfect time as any to end with the podcast. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you very much, good sir. I, I use your full name there for the first time. Thank you so much again, and I really appreciate you making the time. I know you're a busy man and you're all over the place. And is there any way that, if you're okay with it, where people can find you, they can engage with you? Yeah, so for for the more, let's say, professional posts, LinkedIn is a good one, just just Mike Evans. For musings on kind of current affairs, the occasional meme and some bad dad jokes, Twitter, Mike Evans Intel. You'll, you'll find that you'll find you'll find the, the less professional one there, probably. <laughs> <laughs> we we will share everything in the show notes. Again, Mike, thank you so much. And for everybody that, that made it to to this point with us, thank you for listening. I, I've been reading the the reviews and I really appreciate it that please continue, you know, give us reviews and whatever you think we deserve and and I will speak to you guys hopefully next week. Thank you very much.